Today's sermon text reading comes from John 20, 1 through 10, chapter, uh, verse 10 through 31 as well, and chapters, chapter 21, verses 20 through 25, and can be found on page seven of your worship folder. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying there with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's hard to believe that we have been in the gospel according to John since the summer of 2020. That that, that summer, 2020, it feels so long ago and also feels like it just happened. We were in the the middle of COVID. It was the summer of civil unrest across the country and here in Detroit. We were just about to get ready for this very heated election. It was was, was quite the summer. It was quite the summer, not just for the broader culture, but even for us as a church. As a church, we were just coming off of live-streamed services because the Detroit Symphony Orchestra was closed because of the, the pandemic. The Garden Theater was the only theater in town that would allow us to meet. We didn't have a building, and nor did we even have a plan to get a building like this. I had just been installed at this, as the senior pastor, and so it was a very hectic summer. And it was during that summer when we began the Gospel according to John, almost two years ago. And today is going to be the very last sermon from John. I read this quote at the very beginning of the sermon series. It's from D.A. Carson. He writes that perhaps more than any other, the gospel of John has been used by Christians in every age and for the greatest array of purposes. And so we know going into this book that it was going to be 
great sermon series, and I trust that the book has met your expectations. As soon as we began the book of John, from the very outset, I mean, John just hit on a soaring note. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we learned from the very beginning that John is going to be a book about Jesus, that Jesus, who was with God and is God. And throughout the book, we have seen all that Jesus has said, all that he has done. We saw Jesus live, we saw him die, and we saw him resurrected. We saw the miracles of Jesus. We saw the signs of Jesus. We heard of the I am statements. We have seen Jesus. And yet for all that we have seen, John says in chapter 21, verse 20, that we've just gotten a little taste of all that Jesus is. John writes, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we, we just have the highlights here in John. It's just, it's just a fraction of all that Jesus did in his <clears throat> earthly ministry. Think, think of this, it, it's taken us almost two years to preach through John, and, and some of you probably feel like, well, that's, that's probably a year and a half too long, but, but all that we've done is just a fraction. If we actually had all that Jesus had done, think how long this sermon series would have taken. You know, as a pastor, one of the things people comment right away when they walk into my office is they say, hey, Pastor, you have a lot of books. You've got new books, you've got old books, you have a lot of big books. But even with all the books I have in my office, John says, that's not even enough to explain all that Jesus has done. I mean, if, if we were to explain all that Jesus has done and all that he has said, the amount of books would fill the entire earth. And so John, he's just trying to give us a few of the highlights. But the highlights are worth knowing and worth really pressing into because as a church, we have wanted to get to know Jesus. The book of John is about getting to know Jesus for who he really is. John has not been about who we want Jesus to be or who we wish that Jesus would be. It's been an eyewitness account of who Jesus really is. And so as a church, each week we've gone straight to the text because we want to hear from this eyewitness about who Jesus really is. And don't you want to know who Jesus really is? You see, what happens so often is we have misinformation on who Jesus is. We, we conform Jesus to our agenda instead of us conforming to him. I've mentioned this before, but Right by my house on Linwood Street, there's a Catholic seminary that has a very famous statue of Jesus on the corner. This, this statue has been there probably for 100 years. It's made out of some kind of white rock, and so I, I'm guessing marble or something like that. And what happened during the 1960s, during the Detroit riots, is that a number of people went to this statue and they painted the white face black. And so the seminary went out and they, they, they scrubbed the paint off, but then the, the crowd came back and they painted the statue again. So back and forth this process went until eventually the seminary just allowed the face of Jesus to remain black. Now, let's be honest, the, the, the crowd was right. They should have been upset. Jesus is not white. I mean, you look at some of these pictures around our building, this old Catholic church, it makes Jesus look like 
a white guy, he's a hippie, long flowing hair, he's wearing a dress. Let's just be clear, that is not what Jesus looked like. He's not a white guy, he didn't wear dresses, he was not European. But let's also be honest, he wasn't a black guy either. He's not from Africa. He's not a white guy, nor is he a black guy. But here's what so often happens, is we want a Jesus that we can shape and mold into something that we like. We want a Jesus that looks like us, a Jesus that thinks like us, a Jesus that acts like us, because that feels very safe, and that allows us to still be in charge. But a caricature of Jesus is not what we need. That's of no help, because that is not who he really is. We don't need a Jesus mascot. It's not true. We need the real man. And that's what John has been about. You need to see Jesus for who he really is according to the text so that you can make an accurate depiction of who he is. I mean, he is the most influential man in history by far, and he has made claims about life eternal. And so don't you want to get to know the real man? I've met a number of people the past two years that say, you know, I, I don't like Jesus because Donald Trump claims to be a Christian. Or if, if Joe Biden goes to church, and there's no way that I am going to go to the house that Jesus invented if Joe Biden is going to be there. Now, you, you can dislike Trump, you can dislike Biden, I'm not going to fault you on either one of those accounts, but I am going to fault you for basing your conclusion of Jesus off of political leaders and how they are acting 2,000 years later. You cannot make conclusions off the followers. You need to go to the original man, not what people are doing in his name. Or perhaps to make it even more personal, and, and I know this is really hard for a number of you here. As a pastor, I've met a number of people over the years that have said, Christians have, have really hurt me. You know, my, my, my dad or my uncle or a Christian friend, he, he, he did things that I just can't get over and they claim to be a Christian. So if my abusive dad claims to be a Christian, then I am not ever going to follow the same Jesus that my dad claimed to follow. Now this of course is, is tragic, I, I understand the pain, I can understand the confusion. But just because somebody abuses the teaching of a teacher, it is not always the teacher's fault. You can blame the follower, but not the teacher. You still need to go to the original source and see what the teacher has to say. You need to make your conclusions off of the real man. I've mentioned it a number of times as we have been going through the gospel according to John, the reason for why this book was written. You'll see with it, it's written in your bulletin, John chapter 20, verse 30. Look at it with me real quick. I know it was already read, but it's an important verse because it's really the, the thesis statement <clears throat> for this entire book. John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what, what we see here is John has written this book so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That, that, that's the purpose, that's the thesis for this gospel account, that Jesus is the Christ. This entire book is just a short summary of what Jesus has done <clears throat> so that you might read what Jesus is really about. 
I confess I'm getting a little bit over a cold, so I'm going to be drinking a lot of water. I might be coughing. I will do my best. Just pray for me. It's Easter morning, and now, when you come to church at Easter morning, there are a number of things that you are likely very excited about. Easter eggs and jelly beans, marshmallow peeps. But one thing that you are likely not very excited about is a quick lesson on Greek. And so consider this, just your, your, your early Easter morning present from the pastor, a little Greek lesson. Greek is, of course, the language that the New Testament is written in. And here's how this verse would sound in Greek. Taute de grapatai hina. So these things are written in order. Bestuiste hate hiesus. Believing that Jesus has seen ha Christos is the Christ. Hahuyas tu theu, the son of God. Now, if you're able to, to follow along there, you'll notice that the order that you have in your English, right in your bulletin, is the exact same word order that I just read. And according to that word order, John's main question is, who is Jesus? We say, well, John has written this so that you would say that Jesus is the Son of God. John's gospel account would be about explaining to us who Jesus is. But if you've ever studied a different language, you know that word order does not always translate exactly into English. And so again, look real quickly at the verse, and you'll notice where the definite article is. Definite article is just a very fancy word for the word the. Notice where the word the is, and notice that the word the comes before Christ and not before Jesus. So in Greek, this would mean the emphasis despite the word order, is not on who Jesus is, but on who the Christ is. So you have a very, in your English versions, you have a very literal word order, but the actual heart of the Greek is emphasizing who is the Christ. The Christ is Jesus. Oh, I, I, I certainly recognize that the pastor's often make very big points over very small language grammatical details. And so I don't want to over-exaggerate anything, but I do believe that this is a pretty important difference. You see, you see, John is writing, or he has written this gospel account with the assumption that we are all after a Christ. If, if by Christ we, we need a, a person or a thing or a worldview, something that makes your whole life stick, something that gives you value, something that gives you purpose, something that gives you comfort, all people have a Christ that they are search, searching for. All people have a God with a lowercase g. You see, John's assumption here is that all people are religious. If you were an alien and you were to arrive to Detroit this morning, and this alien said, you know, I don't know anything about the human race. Well, where, where can I find some religious people? What, what, what do religious people look like? We could say, you know, religious people, what, once a week they go to a big room, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of excitement. Religious people, they, they give their money in this room, they sing, they clap, they're motivated, it's very encouraging, it's all very exciting. And the alien would say, oh, I get it. I should go to Ford Field on Sunday morning, and that's where I'm going to find religious people. Oh, or no, I, I get it. I should go to a political party's convention. I, mean, I see lots of excitement and purpose and value and money being exchanged. You see, what that, that shows us is that all people are born with a religious impulse. 
that we all have a desire. There's something in us, how we are made, something that we, we just want to make our whole world stick together, something that's going to bring us value and comfort and purpose in life. So that is what is meant by the word Christ with a lowercase c. You know, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. My, my name is John Saunders, first name John last name Saunders. But Jesus, it is not that his first name is Jesus and last name Christ. Christ is just a, a title. It's a description of who he is as the anointed one. So everybody is looking for a Christ. Some people look for a Christ in politics, some in a 401k, some in family, some in fame, some in beauty. And some people, of course, find it in very formal religions. Mohammed or Buddha, but all people are looking for a Christ. The question is not if you are looking for a Christ, but the question that John has before us is where are you going to land for the answer? And John has written this book to show you that the Christ that you are looking for is Jesus. The the answer to this age-old question of where do I find value and comfort and purpose, the answer is found in Jesus. And if you believe in him, you will have life in his name because he is the real Christ and will provide real hope. And any fake, counterfeit Christ will ultimately leave you lacking in life. So the lesson from John is do not settle for any lesser Christ, but keep running to Jesus as the real thing. I have a few friends that are gluten-free. I'll be honest with you, I'm not even quite sure what gluten is, but all I know is that I really like it because everything that I taste that has gluten tastes really good, and everything without gluten seems to taste really, really terrible. So I feel really bad for my friends that are gluten-free, especially those that have very serious diseases and conditions. And so my friends, and I recognize they're doing their best based on their dietary limitations, but they tell me things like, John, you should try these gluten-free brownies. You know, instead of, instead of gluten, they're made with beets. You're never gonna even notice the difference that the gluten is missing. Or John, try this pizza. This pizza is so good, you can't even tell the gluten is missing. It's made from rice flour. It tastes just like a deep dish from Buddy's Pizza. Now, I I like beets, and I like rice. It's not in my brownies or in my my pizza. See, a, a beet brownie is not a real dessert. It's not the real thing. It's just a counterfeit. It's a fake. It looks like a brownie, it kind of feels like a brownie, but in the end, it is going to let you down. And there is no way that a pizza crust made from rice is ever going to taste like Detroit deep dish style pizza. It's just a fake. You want the real thing. And so this world is full of many Christs that look something like a Christ, even make some promises, but are going to let you down in the end. Money makes the promise of security, but will not last. Beauty makes the promise of acceptance, but it is fading. The academy makes the promise of knowledge, but it is always short. Politics makes the promise of heaven on earth, and all of us understand that that is simply not possible. They are just cheap substitutes for the real thing. Here's a headline from a 2018 edition of The Atlantic. The headline was, Atheists are sometimes more religious than Christians. 
The opening line of this article went on to say that Americans are deeply religious people and atheists are no exception. So the article went on to list a number of secular religious services. Again, just proving to us that all of us have these religious impulses, that we are religious people. The question is not if you are searching, but where are you landing for the answer? Don't settle for a counterfeit. Don't settle for a substitute. Don't settle for a Christ that is made of beets or rice flour, but settle for the real thing. You need to get to the real man. You need to get to the real Christ. And John has written this book so that you might come to see Jesus for who he really is, to see him as the real Christ, so that you might leave all the counterfeit substitute gods behind and that you might come to believe in Jesus alone for life. So here's what I want to do. In conclusion, this is Easter Sunday. This is the last Sunday, the last sermon that we are going to preach from the gospel according to John. So what I want to do is I want to do a really quick overview of everything that we have talked about in John over the past two years. And hopefully by doing so, we will see that Jesus is the Christ and that we ought to believe in him above everything else. So one final overview of the gospel according to John. We began John in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Talk about the Word as the divine logos. It is the reason for the universe. Jesus was with God. Jesus is the logos. He was with God in the beginning. Now, he just wasn't with him, but we saw that Jesus is also God. He was with and is God. So this is the eternal mystery of the Trinity. We saw that in the Trinity, there's a fundamental unity. There's the same nature. There's the same substance, but there is also a diversity that the different persons of the Trinity are going to have different roles. And the role of Jesus as God, fully God, he would take on human flesh. This is John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus, from that point forward, is always going to be fully God and fully man. It is not as though he is half God and half man. He's not a demigod, but he is actually God and man, 100% both at all times and in all ways. And what we saw is that Jesus came to us. John has not been the story of us ascending up to God with very impressive religious achievements. It has not been about our resumes. No, it has been about Jesus coming to us. God giving Jesus, Jesus taking on human flesh to become a person, to become a man just like us. This story has been the story of Jesus living and Jesus moving towards us in grace. One of the very first designations that we saw of Jesus was back in John chapter 1, verse 21, 29. And this is John the Baptist speaking. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus come down the hill, he says, look, look at that man, word of God in the flesh, that man right there, behold Jesus, the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. Again, that was one of the very first designations of who Jesus is. From the outset, from the beginning of John, Jesus has been recognized as the final Lamb of God who has come in the flesh to take away the sins of the world as the Lamb of God. And so the purpose statement for Jesus, his mission has been set from the beginning. 
John 3, 16, perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. God is giving Jesus to us in John. He is giving him as the lamb to be slain. And so this is not something that is earned. This is a gift that has been given. Over 30 times in John's gospel account, we have heard Jesus talk of being sent by the Father. Again, this is God sending Jesus on a mission, the sending of the Son. And so from the prologue of John, we have seen a Jesus that is fully God, he is fully man, he is fully sent on mission. And that's why John can say in chapter 116, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. From the beginning of John, we saw a very full Jesus. He is full of God. He is full of the human race. He is full of grace. He is full of love. This has been the story of a very full Savior. We have not seen Jesus lack or been at a deficit at all in this gospel account. And after seeing the fullness of all that Jesus is, John chapter 3, verse 30, this is actually the very first sermon that was preached in this building, that Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And so John the Baptist, after seeing Jesus, begins to recognize that I will be the most joyful person in the world if there is more of Jesus in my life, more of Jesus in us as individuals and Jesus in this church and across Michigan and to the very ends of the world. John has been the story of Jesus increasing. And so starting in chapter three, all the way to the end, we have seen the increase of Jesus. We have seen the seven signs. Jesus has turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Jesus has healed the official sons. Jesus has healed the paralyzed man. Jesus has fed the 5,000. Jesus has walked on water. Jesus has made the blind man see. And then finally, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the grave. And so there's been seven signs. Seven is the number of completion. Seven signs that give us pictures, greater pictures of who this Jesus has been. Each one of these signs in John's gospel account has been painting a picture of the supremacy of who Jesus is, building a case. And the final sign, of course, is when Jesus stood at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. And Jesus, at that tomb, he shed a tear of compassion, but he also shed a tear of indignation that Jesus is angry at death Jesus is angry at the state of the world. And so with three words, that is all Jesus needed. Three words, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And with those three words, a dead man comes back to life and Lazarus walks out of the grave. And so the final of the signs now teaches us that Jesus has the power over death, that death itself submits to the supremacy of this man, Jesus Christ. But even then, Jesus was just getting warmed up. And so what we saw during the final third of the gospel according to John was Jesus enter into the city. He entered into the city on Palm Sunday. This was the day that the crowds were adoring. But the crowds would soon turn against him. On Thursday night, Jesus would sit with his disciples. He would wash their feet, even wash the feet of the one who would betray him. Jesus would have one final meal with them. The very next day, Jesus would be betrayed. He would be sent to a trial. From the outset, this trial was a sham. There was no case to be made against Jesus. There's no legal grounding for why Jesus was guilty, but Jesus remained quiet. 
At any point, Jesus could have spoken up and the whole trial would have come to an end. At any point, Jesus could have snapped his fingers and the angels would have come to his rescue, but Jesus kept quiet. Like the final lamb of God that he was, Jesus did not say a thing. And so during this trial, Jesus was accused. He was flogged, shards of bone and rock shredded his back. Jesus was mocked, Jesus was spit upon, a crown of thorns was placed on his head. As we learned as going through this sermon series, a crown of thorns, thorns represent the curse. And so here we have Jesus at the end of John wearing the curse. Though Jesus' nature was completely pure and all his actions were completely innocent, Jesus is now going to be a cursed man as he wears the curse in our place. Cursed is the man who hangs from the tree. And so Jesus would hang from a tree, from a cross. Jesus would be nailed. Think of the the great prayer of blessing from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. But here, on that cross, Jesus in our place would not experience the great promise of blessing, but actually the opposite. May you be cursed. May you be forgotten. May God's face turn away from you forever and forever. There he was, the perfect man, fully God, word of God, logos in the flesh. There Jesus hung as a cursed man. And God's righteous anger poured out cup upon cup upon cup until every last drop of God's righteous anger was drunk by Jesus. So with his very last words, Jesus would say, it is finished. It's finished on that cross, and as we learned in the Greek perfect tense, it's going to be finished forever into the future. The Lamb of God that John the Baptist had identified back in John chapter one, the Lamb of God had done his work. The Lamb of God had been slain for the sins of the world. But this lamb was different than all the other sacrificial lambs that had come before him because this lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would rise. Three days later, on the very first Easter Sunday, Jesus would burst from the ground as a living declaration for all the world to see just how finished his work was. Nothing left to be done. Sin had been conquered. Death had been conquered. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid that wage with such fullness and finality that it would be unjust for God to keep him in the grave. And so Jesus burst forth to show us just how forgiven and free we now are. All the other lesser Christs in the world are one day going to rust and die and lie in the ground, but Jesus as the final and full and truest Christ of all time, he is now alive. This conquering king, he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, and this conquering king has now ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is now presently breaking forth into this present age, a kingdom of love and grace. And everything that has been written in the gospel according to John has been written so that you might turn from every other lesser God, 
from all the counterfeit gods, all the false ideologies, all the false worldviews, and that you might come to see that Jesus is the Christ, that the Christ that you have spent your entire life looking for, that Christ is Jesus. Believe and turn to him. There is no other Christ that speaks with the authority of God like Jesus does. There is no other Christ that acts with the authority of God like Jesus does. And there is no other Christ that presently lives like God, like Jesus still does. So do not be fooled by false caricatures of Jesus given to us by the culture. You know, the culture paints an image of Jesus as this wimpy guy wearing a dress that has very outdated ideas on sex and gender. Just be done with those caricatures and go to the text and go to the eyewitnesses' account and see what the actual followers of Jesus have said. Go to the real thing. Examine the sources. Press in to know the real man. Because when you do... You will find that the Christ that you so desperately want and need in life, the Christ is Jesus. And by believing in him, you will find life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, the divine logos now in the flesh. We thank you that yes, you came to live. We thank you that yes, died. And on this Easter Sunday, we give you thanks that Jesus Christ, Son of God, has risen from the grave. Thank you for all that your Son has done for us. By your grace, help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.